you know, as a as a black African American male, if if somebody were to ask me, uh, you know, what sport I played, you know, they would they would probably assume football or track or basketball. We're gonna go out on the field. We're gonna score as many goals as we can. We're gonna have fun. Oh, Becky, well placed. I'm on the phone with John Wilson. Hey, is this Hannah? Yeah, hi. Can you hear me okay? Sorry, John Wilson the fourth. There are others. And this John Wilson and a couple of the other John Wilsons have all fallen in love with tennis. My grandfather actually uh, played tennis, and so he passed it down to my dad, and eventually my dad passed it down to me. Um, so it was really just the family sport um, in my family, you know, I mean, we, we played, I played baseball, I played basketball a little bit, but, you know, I, I always knew I was going to have to stick with tennis just, just off, off the rip. So, um, but, but my, my grandfather actually um, loved tennis so much. He played every day after he retired and eventually um, uh, ended up passing away, actually, on the tennis court um, due to a heart attack while he was oh, playing yes. doubles. So, so it seems, I know it's pretty um, extreme, but um, it, that just kind of just shows you the, the passion we have right. for the sport and our, and our love for it. For all of them, tennis has given off a special kind of shine that has made it hard to stay away from. One thing uh, I, I think personally that sets tennis apart, um, that why I guess our family is so attracted by it, is we just, we're just like different. Um, we tend to do things different than the norm. The norm. The norm here may be being sports with significant black male representation. Like football, 39% black. Track, 23%. Basketball, 45%. Different than the norm, tennis. Just 4% of NCAA men's tennis players identify as black. John Wilson Jr., the third, and the fourth, have had no fear standing apart from the pack and getting outside their comfort zone. You know, as a as a black African American male, if if somebody were to ask me, uh, you know, what sport I played, you know, they would they would probably assume football or track or basketball. And my family just all hasn't been you know, the, the traditional route. Um, not not knocking any other sports, but um, but tennis just gives you a chance to just be different. Try stuff, try something new. Um, you know, see different faces, of course. Um, and and it's just it's just a life. It's also a lifelong sport. Uh, you can, like I said, my grandpa played since he really um, played since college until when he passed away. So it's a sport you can play lifelong and build connections with. The whole oh, there aren't a lot of other black boys playing tennis thing wasn't lost on John growing up. He said the tournaments he played in when he was younger often had 150-ish kids in them, and there were maybe three black kids total. It was pretty obvious that um, I was in the minority, or, you know, black people are a minority in general. And, um, and so that kind of gave me, uh, tennis kind of just opened up doors to, because I, I grew up in South Dallas, um, fairly low-income neighborhood. And, and so you're, when you're so used to that environment, 
uh, it's just kind of shocking when you get introduced to like the sport of tennis and it's obviously people know it as a country club sport. And so that just brings like a lot of just new, new experiences, new people you meet that you might not get a chance to meet in a, you know, a low income, uh, neighborhood. So, um, yeah, so it was definitely prevalent. <laughs> Getting into his teenage years, John got better and better. He was ranked 20th in the state of Texas at one point. And, you know, this sport is in his blood. He knew collegiate tennis would be in his future. He decided to play at North Carolina A&T, the largest historically black college in the country and the oldest in North Carolina. My experience at um, North Carolina A&T, I'll say it's kind of two sides to it. Um, From a student perspective, it was great. Um, I love the school. It's a HBCU, Historical Black College University. I did have opportunities to play at um, PWIs, predominantly white institutions. Uh, but what really sold me was the visit. And like I said, um, I did play tennis growing up throughout my life. So I was, um, you know, I, I was pretty much around uh, white, you know, white individuals and upper upper and individuals to a certain extent so I didn't really get an opportunity to really like live uh I guess as a black person really just be surrounded just in an all-black um type of environment um so that's really what drew me there and a visit that so that that um I went there and, and experienced um but from a tennis perspective Tennis, really, at any institution, is probably going to get the the shorter end to the stick. Just just being honest, um, compared to football and then compared to those high revenue sports. Um, but specifically at an HBCU, we're you know we're going to get even less um, just because this tennis is now a black thing, um, and HBCUs being being ninety percent black, it just makes sense. Uh, unfortunately, um, so the tennis part, I had three coaches uh, within my four years there. The coach who recruited him left just two weeks into his freshman year. It's an unfortunate fact that kind of goes back to the idea of tennis being pushed under the rug, especially at HBCUs. So their hiring process is not going to be as vetted as the football coaches. So we, I kind of had to deal with that and um, there, and it was really difficult. I mean, imagine the, the sport you played your whole life, dedicated countless hours to parents, dedicated countless money and it kind of gets faulted because of a hiring issue or because, you know, the, the department just simply does not care mm-hmm. to the extent of other, other mm-hmm. sports. Um, because that school, our school, we have, we have a renowned football team. Our track team is top, top 25 in the nation, not just HBCUs. So we, you know, we can, we have the ability to, to uh, we have the ability to have successful programs. It just wasn't tennis at that time, so. The Aggies weren't exactly a tennis powerhouse, but John stuck with it all four years. And it was in the beginning of that last year, his senior season, that something pretty disturbing happened during a match. And it was this something that made headlines. It's how I became familiar with his name. I want to talk about the racist incident that happened in January 2018, which I believe was the beginning of your senior year, right? Senior season, I mean. Yeah, smack that. Yeah, yeah, it was right smack dab in the beginning. I think that might have been our second or third match of the season. I mean, maybe it's 
maybe it wasn't the first time that it's happened at, you know, HBCU tennis programs, visiting other schools, playing in these, you know, playing schools from Southern states or not even just Southern states. I don't want to make that, <laughs> that generalization, yeah. but just when you're on maybe like more of the national scale playing in tournaments like that, would you mind if, again, if you feel comfortable, um, would you mind going into what happened, uh, your response, and the aftermath, maybe just within yeah. your team, the response you got on a bigger level, just anything like that? Gotcha. Yeah, of course. Um, so I guess just the day that it happened, um, we knew, I mean, I, like I said, I was a, I'm a senior, so this isn't our first rodeo uh, <laughs> with, with um, PWIs or, um, or just majority white institutions and but we knew that going into this Appalachian State if you just look at the statistics they're 92 percent white I believe wow. and their school way, way located in the mountain mountain areas um and so we knew it might just be a challenge and they have a all just you know all white team men and, men and women um and so we, we were just kind of preparing ourselves not not preparing ourselves like okay if something happens, we're going to have to just, you know, do whatever. But we're just preparing just to, just to stay focused on what's important and not let the side sub get to Stay focused on what's important, meaning the tennis, and don't let other stuff get to them. That was the plan. But an important moment, an unexpected non-tennis one, did happen to focus on. And that's what John did. Me and us, uh, Spencer Furman, uh, we were playing a tennis match, and actually our match itself uh, went per- pretty smooth. And he was a good player. I'm not, I'm not a sore loser or anything. I did, I did lose. He was the great, great player um, that they recruited, uh, five star recruit. Um, so not, it, our match was was pretty respectable. Uh, I, I'd say start to finish, um, but. What actually happened was um, after the matches where my uh, my teammates were still playing. And these were these were teammates from uh, Argentina, uh, Peru, um, you know, and I'm not sure how people are, um, know about tennis, but tennis is very, uh, especially college tennis, is a very um, kind of foreign-based uh, t- uh, player that come. Um, so we did have uh, foreigners on our team. And, and during their matches, uh, they were doing pretty well, actually, competing pretty hard. It was close, close matches. And, but uh, me and my other teammates that are watching uh, started to hear people, members of Appalachian State, like mocking them, mocking their, mocking their accents, um, mocking their grunt, you know, different grunts uh, that they were making that sounded weird or whatever. And, and so I just got very... Um, it ended up getting like really personal because mm-hmm. it started at, I started off, we started off at, that could have been just, um, just trash talk really just got, um, discriminatory and just a whole different level. And, um, and so as we were watching, um, them play, my, uh, another foreigner on my team actually walked up to me. He actually asked me like, why are they saying this stuff? Like, why, why are they, you know, acting like this basically? And, and I'm not sure, like, if many people don't actually know this, but I mean, racism does exist in many, most places in the and, and around the world. But a lot of a lot of people don't experience it, especially from different other countries. Um, 
just yeah, just from the simple fact that it's really heavily prevalent in, in America. So not everybody knows like the extent of what racism entails. Mm-hmm. And so and so what my foreign teammate was asked a curious question and to me, uh, me dealing with this playing at a country club before, knowing how, you know, pricks can like really act um, like that. I told him, I was like, hey man, like these kids are sound like they're just a bunch of like privileged kids who have got everything handed down to them. And, uh, and actually a member from the Appalachian State uh, team overheard me and instantly said, well, at least I'm my." So John makes this comment to his own teammate about how the Appalachian State players have had privilege passed down to them from their well-off daddies. And his opponent, Spencer Brown, quips back saying, at least I knew my dad. When that, when that situation really happened, the, the foreigner guy actually went in front of the dude and, and confronted him and uh, and you know, asked him to repeat what he said. And so that situation happened. Uh, the, the coaches had to get, you know, in between both the teams. No no hands or no – it was nothing physical that happened um, because me, I'm a pretty cool, level-headed guy. I, am, I, do, get, I do get competitive, but, um, but me personally, <laughs> I know that the headline could be re- easily switched or the, this incident could have really took a turn uh, from, you know – why guy says racist remark to black student, it could have been easily turned to black student angrily, black male tennis player angrily attacks white guy at tennis match. So that was, that was going through my head at the time and we weren't even at our home uh, courts or anything. So I just wanted to be, make sure I was very um, proactive instead of reactive. So of course I went to tell my coach but um, but this is what really kind of spiraled me into making the, the tweet. There is some key background info here. The last time a racist incident had happened with John, staff didn't handle it well. And by not well, I mean not at all. So fall semester before my senior year, um, I actually had a match uh, with another individual. And after I won, uh, he told me to go hung, hang myself. And yeah, and I actually reported it to my coach, uh, and we just and the, the resolution was both teams just shook hands and that was it. Oh my God. They, they apologized and that was it. And and so that was going through my head as well when that incident happened. I was like, I don't think I, I really don't feel comfortable that our school is gonna handle this situation like it like it should have been when it happened. This last recent incident happened and so i personally thought you know a lot of things get solved on twitter i'm I'm just yeah and i um i thought that was the best medium to get what i wanted to accomplish and so that's all i really wanted to um happen so when i made the tweet i um you know exposed the incident exposed how the coach um man i didn't even get into what the coach and the, the opposing team said um, after the incident happened, but, um, but basically after the incident happened at Appalachian State, the coach had walked up to our team. He was like, man, I'm just so mad that he said that, um, we have a, we have a black guy in our team. And so, uh, (laughs) 
that that it has to be the most common right, like exactly. rebuttal, the common <laughs> rebuttal ever. And, and so that on top of everything, just didn't make me feel like no nobody was gonna be held accountable, nobody was gonna be made responsible. And I wasn't trying to make an example out of out of the guy. Like I I don't I didn't intend to ever like um, I guess ruin it. I don't ruin his life or anything like that, but. I just wanted I just wanted to feel like he was gonna somebody's gonna be held accountable and I just don't think the traditional way of telling your coach and hoping he says something to the AD um, was gonna work. So wow. that that's pretty much yeah. So that's pretty much what happened and um, and then once it got on Twitter it was it was a wrap from there. So Spencer Brown was suspended indefinitely from the team and he ended up transferring out. The Appalachian State coach got suspended for a few matches. With the tweet going viral, BuzzFeed, ESPN, and a few other outlets picked up the story, and it really sparked a larger conversation on the national level about race and sport, and race in sports like tennis. But here was one unexpected, kind of troubling response in the wake of the incident. A lot of people don't know this, but after that incident, I was actually um, suspended for, uh, I think it was two matches and basically what my what my school had told me was well they handled their situation we have to do something just to say we did something oh my goodness and yeah yeah (laughs) i i I know and that was pretty frustrating um because my coach right off the bat did not agree with me sending that tweet and it wasn't until after it got so much attention until after all these the news outlets started reaching out to the school and for AD for interviews and me for interviews and how much positive attention it was bringing towards the team. Then he, then my, he kind of came back and, and said that, okay, well, it wasn't so bad after all. Um, and 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 then my, my school actually had that same response. Um, so that was kind of messed up going into the season, having that mindset, didn't really feel supportive. Uh, you know, through my own um, department. And when you spew that kind of hate and ignorance, you create your own bad luck. Bad luck in that those ears Spencer's words fell on were really bad ears for those words to fall on if you're Spencer. I mean, I don't want to say I I feel bad for Spencer, but he honestly probably just said it to the wrong person. Like, um, I was senior class president of my school, like, I've been in SGA my whole tenure mm. at, at a and So, obviously, like, I'm an outspoken, outspoken mm. type of guy. And, and I don't know. I just – people have to start realizing that, um, I mean, your, your words have consequences. And, and it doesn't matter what setting you said it, you say it in or if you meant it or not. You, you have to have that in the back of your mind. Another pretty cool, also outspoken John, John Lewis – might have considered John Wilson's tweet and what it all caused good trouble. It stirred up some stuff, maybe not comfortable for a lot of folks, but it was important it was all stirred up. And just a few months after it all, John finished up his time as a collegiate tennis player. But um, it eventually worked out. Uh, I um, ended the season... You know, not really missing a match other than those two, and uh, you know, giving giving it my all, like I like I do every single match. And honestly, 
I'm so grateful I even ended it because right now people in this pandemic, people's seasons are getting ripped ripped apart. So I'm just grateful for just to even have a senior um, season, honestly. After graduating, John moved back home to Dallas and worked as a financial analyst for Texas Instruments for a couple years. But his main long-term career goal? To be a lawyer. I just uh, didn't feel like me being a student athlete, uh, just me being senior class president, and then also I was the representative for all the HBCUs and, and MSIs, minority-serving institutions um, for the state of North Carolina wow. as well. Uh, so I had two, two pretty big positions I was I was dealing with, with being an athlete. I didn't really have a lot of time to devote to um, being the best law school applicant I could be. So um, during these two years, I actually been – um, honing down, studying for the LSAT, uh, making my best um, application, law school application as possible. And now I'm headed to um, Washington University in St. Louis uh, wow. Law School in the fall, and I'll start this fall. A step closer to that dream. Once a powerful member of one 4% statistic, John moves on to soon be a powerful member of another 4% statistic. 4% of attorneys are, are African-Americans mm-hmm. um, in general. And so, so when, you look, uh, when you look at all the racial injustices that we have in our justice system right now, in the legal system, I mean, it kind of makes sense when there's not fair representation across the board. And, and a, lot of, a lot of the times, um, it's, our, it's the African-American community that suffers the most because we, we, you know, we're forced to get these state-appointed lawyers that we can't, you know, we can't really afford anything better and that don't really have our, our best interests at heart. Mm-hmm. So um, I just feel like I just want to do, I'm, I always have the view that, you know, if something's broke, I mean, or something's wrong, uh, fix it yourself. Mm-hmm. And, and so I just want to take charge of myself to fill this gap um, and you can rest representation in, in the black community and um, really try to just make make change, even if I'm just making one person's life better in the legal world, um, you know. Once following in his grandpa and dad's footsteps, now in his mom's. John's hope one day is to work as a public interest lawyer where he believes he can affect the most people. He's got a passion and a handful of other helpful skills for success many of which were developed and amplified during his time in tennis. It's definitely shown me my hard work ethic. Um, tennis is a very technical sport. Uh, it's, it's very me- mechanical, and um, you have to be very coachable as well, being able to listen. And then also just being a, just an African-American male in, in tennis and knowing how to code switch to a sense and um, being able to respond just to different uh, perspectives because a lot of people don't know how to really respect other people's perspectives even though it might sound ignorant to you you still have to understand that that's the background that they come from mm. and that's and that's what they're used to and, uh, and that's what they grew up in so being able to have good uh, productive conversations out of that I think is a trait that that I've grown and, and being able to talk to different my different white counterparts that might not have had the same life experience that I had. Mm. And, you know, so that I think that's a trait that I, I gained from tennis as well. 
And while I'm sure his schedule and life will shift a whole lot in law school and then when he's a lawyer, but right now, John is still very involved in tennis. And that is bigger than him. It's about the ways he, as an individual, can affect change, doing his part to increase that 4% community he was a part of as an athlete. It's, it's, it's hard when, when tennis is a pretty over, uh, underrated sport in general. And then trying to present that case to African-American males when you're seeing people on TV um, make millions and millions of dollars playing football, playing basketball. And, and so you don't really see the lucrativeness of tennis firsthand. So that that's something that's the challenge we have to say, because, I mean, through all of all the sports in the world, the highest the highest paid woman athlete. It's Serena Williams, mm-hmm. tennis player. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you look at the other other highest paid athletes for, for men, tennis is definitely, uh, I'm not sure if it's top five or anything, but um, it's definitely top ten as well. So it's just, it's, it's, it's a tough um, battle that like, even right now, what, what one way that I'm doing is getting involved as a black tennis player. Don't, don't just leave tennis right when you, um, graduate or, or not stop playing the sport. I'm back coaching now part time mm. in the same same um, South Dallas community that I grew up playing tennis with. And I don't know. I don't do it for the money. I don't do it whatever. I, I mean, I might do it because I love playing tennis or anything. But I really do it because I have different people who grew up the same way as me that um, that do share the same passion for the sport. And I want to do everything I can to make sure that that passion is consistent and stays through and stays persistent all the way up past college and beyond. And, um, and tennis is a great avenue to really get kids, take a kid's difficult situation and just turn it completely around. So, Thank you to John Wilson IV for coming on to the podcast. And thank you for listening. Hope to see you next time.